Hello, good morning. It's a pleasure, as always, uh, to, to visit uh, Presbyterian Church of Coventry. Uh, it sounds strange to use that word visit. I feel like I belong here in a way. But uh, you know what I mean. And it's, it's wonderful to see uh, dear friends and uh, to see Pastor Will, his family, and the, the ongoing ministry here, which is, which is very encouraging. Uh, I apologize. I'm probably going to have to hit the water pretty heavily during this sermon. I've lost my voice, and uh, we'll just, hopefully it'll hold up throughout the sermon. I plan to preach on a, on a classic uh, encounter uh, in the Old Testament between Jacob and the Lord and Jacob's uh, wrestling with the Lord. And I'm sure it's, it's well known um, to many of you, but I think always bears a fresh look. This is from Genesis chapter 32, uh, verse 22 and following. Um, I was, uh, I've preached on this before here many years ago, not that anybody would remember, and I'm sure it was a very different sermon, but I know that because I, I found some, a handful of old cards that I'd received from people, maybe it was, uh, I don't know, a pastor's appreciation day a long time ago or something, and I was sort of looking through them, and there was one from two little brothers at that point who were probably six or seven years old. Uh, they were our neighbors then, and uh, Patsy and I struck up an acquaintance with them. We'd have them over to the house sometimes to give their mom a break. And uh, <clears throat> so their mom had written the note. I'm sure it was her handwriting. Uh, but the boys uh, said, oh, you know, you're our friend. We love you, and we like uh, having you as our pastor. But what stood out to me, because I was reading this and I was working on this sermon, uh, was we liked your sermon about Jacob wrestling with God. And I thought, well, that's really kind of a keeper comment. And then I got to thinking, well, of course boys would say that, right? Boys are wrestlers. I mean, it's in our blood. Um, and we resonate with this. And I'm, I'm not saying girls don't. Maybe they do. I know there are girls wrestling teams nowadays. But for boys, uh, this is, is a really interesting passage. And I hope that in preaching of it today, uh, you may find a, a similar sense of connection as, as those boys did long ago. So then, Genesis 32, verse, 30, verse 22 and following. The same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. 
Let us pray. We do thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We do thank you for this great account of Jacob wrestling with God. I pray that we may benefit spiritually as we contemplate what you have to teach us as we too in this world are wrestlers with you. May I speak clearly and may it be a blessing to your flock. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Briefly to recount where we are in the account of Jacob. Uh, Jacob has uh, left uh, his, the, 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 the land of promise after uh, taking advantage of his brother uh, Esau and taking his, his uh, inheritance and going off to uh, his ancestral homeland to find a wife and succeeding and prospering very well. Uh, and then he's, he has had to flee uh, there from his uncle Laban and he's coming back to the land. The Jabbok is a, is a, is a, a river you cross uh, in parts to get over to the land of promise. And uh, he hears of his brother Esau coming to meet him. And uh, this is an alarm to Jacob because he figures that Esau is coming to get his revenge, his pound of flesh. And that's where we are. And, and it's on that night, as he's anticipating the arrival of his brother Esau uh, with his army of 400 men, uh, that we find Jacob wrestling with God. I'd like to, to make three points about Jacob. I'd like us to begin by seeing Jacob as a man of faith. I think Jacob is under, undervalued, under, underappreciated as a real man of faith. Secondly... I'd like you to see Jacob as a type of Christ, as someone who points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, I'd like us to see a couple of ways in which I think Jacob can be an encouragement to us in our faith, in our praying. So Jacob as a man of faith. And I say, I do think we need a kind of a revised biography of, of Jacob. Um, sometimes people get stuck with stereotypes and uh, I, someone gave me a biography of Ulysses S. Grant. They know I'm in history. I like history. And um, it was fascinating because it, it really did demolish some of the stereotypes about Grant, that all he was was a drunkard, a brutal man, and a corrupt president. Uh, not true in many ways. Yes, he did some drinking. Yes, there was some corruption in his administration. But in many ways, he was a fine, dedicated, thoughtful, uh, commanding officer. Um, wow, uh, that was kind of eye-opening to me. And I do think we can come with a similarly stereotypical view of Jacob. That he was just kind of this type A, spoiled mama's boy, driven to uh, a manipulator, uh, any way, doing anything he could uh, to get what he wanted. Now, that's the problem with a stereotype. There's some truth, usually, unfortunately, in a stereotype. There's some truth in that, uh, that he was driven, uh, that he probably was type A, that he, he could resort uh, to, to manipulation. But think of what the Word of God says. Jacob was the chosen promise bearer. He was the one who would carry this promise that God had made to Abraham. And, and, and succeed to, to further generations. And Jacob manifests a lifelong passion to get that inheritance, to experience the promise of God. Yes, we can quibble about 
what he did with Esau. But in one sense, you'll think I'm being harsh here, but Esau got what he deserved. Esau cared far more about his appetites than he did about the promised inheritance of God. And so he sold himself out in that regard. Jacob had a passion for that promise. He wanted that inheritance. And that really was what was, um, what was driving him. And as we come to Genesis 32, I want you to see that, Gen that Jacob really is a man of faith. Um, in verse 1 of, of chapter 32, which we didn't read, I just want to note that Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. So God sends his angels to assure Jacob that God is with him. Doesn't sound to me like the Lord is, is mad at Jacob or unhappy with him. It sounds to me like Jacob would say, I know God is for me. Then we see, we hear Jacob, I won't read the prayer, but Jacob prays very earnestly and very humbly in verses 9 through 12. And he prays that God would deliver him and his family from Esau, who has come to attack him. And, and you can roll your eyes and you can say, yeah, of course. Any port in a storm, he wants to get, get away from that. And I don't think this is a selfish prayer. Uh, first of all, our confession tells us there's nothing wrong with self-preservation. I mean, we all try to do it. There's nothing wrong with trying to preserve your own life uh, when the occasion warrants. But Jacob is also praying for his descendants. He's saying, Lord, remember, you said I will do your good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. That's the promise to Abraham. That's the gospel, ultimately, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I submit to you, he is a man of faith, and he is praying. Uh, he is praying here in faith. And then he begins to wrestle with God. And we'll look a little bit more at that a little bit later, some of the details here, but you probably know them. But, but even as they've wrestled all night, and, and the Lord, this man who's wrestling with him, turns out to be the Lord, touches his hip, breaks him. So Jacob is exhausted and in great pain. And at that point, what does he do? He doesn't do what we might think he would do, which is slink away, I've had it, I just want some relief from the pain, I just want to get out of here. He doesn't do that. He grips all the more tightly to this assailant. And he says to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I don't know what you call that, but I call that faith. I call that tenacious longing for the blessing of God in a way that he was probably in his physical and emotionally low estate. Yet he prays that God would bless him. Back to wrestling. Boys know this. Wrestling, wrestling isn't like fishing, you know. You kind of sit there and wait and hope something will happen. You wrestle to win. You wrestle to put your, if you, if you think you can when you're a kid, put your dad on his back. Put your brother on his back. Get out down in the dirt with your neighborhood boys and put them in the dirt. That's what wrestling is. It's not casual. It's not reserved. You're in it to win. Jacob was in this to win. An inheritance. A promise that God had given. 
I ask, are you in your Christian life to win? I know we have our doctrine of, of, of sovereignty, rightly so, and we have our doctrine of grace, rightly so. We are, we are safe and secure by grace. Yes. But if that's all we ever say, that can lull us to sleep and make us, as has been called, the frozen chosen. Paul believed that as passionately as anybody did. The sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of grace. He gave his life for it. And yet he said, I buffet my body to make it my slave in order to win an eternal crown. I haven't been watching very much of the Olympics at all, but I know it's on there in the background, and, and I think it's always the, kind of the same thing that impresses me. But these men and women will train rigorously for years, for sometimes a few minutes in the spotlight, for a shot at a medal. Sometimes it's a little more than a few minutes, but you know what I'm saying. That's impressive to me. Why are we not more like that? Why are, not, why are we not more like athletes or soldiers for Christ? By the way, the church fathers, that was a common description of Christians. We must be athletes for Christ. And they were talking about this. Training, using the means of grace. Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Second, I'd like to just point out here that Jacob it points us to Christ. He's a type of Christ. Um, we don't want to read the Bible as just a collection of interesting stories with morals and practical applications. Though it is that, morals and practical applications. But, but it points us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, Jacob is the promise bearer. If you know Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo was the ring bearer. And he, he went through a great ordeal to accomplish his mission. Jacob is the promise bearer. And he goes through an ordeal. And he's broken in order to be blessed. So I say to you that this episode of Jacob wrestling with God is nothing less than the Old Testament Gethsemane. The, parable, the parallels here are too striking. They are, the, they are deliberately in, designed by the Holy Spirit to point us to, the, to Gethsemane with Christ. Both Jacob and Jesus in, in their Gethsemanes are under a cloud of judgment. The tension fills the air of the night. Both of them in their garden of Gethsemane are ministered to by angels. Both of them in their... Uh, Garden of Gethsemane, cry to God with urgent and utter dependence upon him. Both Jacob and Jesus, strikingly, in their Gethsemane, are alone. The text tells us that Jacob was alone. The Gospels tell us that, G that the disciples of Jesus deserted him and were scattered, and Jesus was alone. Both of them in their Gethsemane wrestle with God. Both of them are broken. Both of them are blessed. Both of them come away able to say, I have seen God face to face. And of course, a type is never the equal of the antitype. 
Of course, Jacob is imperfect in ways. He's a sinner. The Lord Jesus Christ is not. In some ways, Jacob deserved the cloud of judgment that was over him. The Lord Jesus Christ was under the cloud of judgment for our sakes. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ did much more than see God face to face, for, of course, he was God. He came from God and made God known. But I want to say that I would characterize this wrestling match with God as the, as the Gethsemane of the Old Testament. And I want to say that it's so important for us to be able to rest here. You and I go through various trials in our lives and as we're able, we seek to be faithful under fire and faithful in our trials. Praise God. But we all know at the end of the day, sometimes we fail pretty miserably. Our faith seems to desert us. We panic. We, we doubt God. We wonder what he's doing and all that kind of thing. And, and if our salvation ultimately depended on how well we do under trial, we'd all be out of luck, would we not? That's a terrible word to use in a Presbyterian pulpit. We'd all be out of providence, wouldn't we, if, we if, it de if it depended upon us. And thank God that it doesn't. That we see the perfect track record of our Savior bearing through every trial with sinless reliance upon the Lord and perfect submission to his will. Thy will be done, our Savior cries out. When I was a young Christian, I used to have this gospel album. I think it was by the Gaithers. I was, I was a really young Christian, and I liked a number of the songs on this album. But there was one that was called, Have You Had a Gethsemane? And I hated that song. And I was a young Christian. I hardly knew anything. But, but the singer was kind of talking about her experience and how she'd suffered and how that was her Gethsemane. And I was so offended by that. How dare you compare your trivial little experience to the mighty sufferings of our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane? It simply isn't true. What I would, if someone asked me, have you had a Gethsemane? I would say, no, I have not, because my Savior had one for me. My Savior went through Gethsemane and those agonizing trials of abandonment and attack, if you will, by God for me. I submit to you, Jacob, as a type of Christ, and we see in Old Testament Gethsemane. Finally, just a couple of lessons then from Jacob, the wrestler with God. And I, I probably could say a lot about this, but I'll just, I just have two brief things I want to say in closing. Calvin wrote that this passage represents all the servants of God in the world as wrestlers. And I think he's right about that. He says there is an application here to us. It's, it's preparing us for the fact that every servant of God is going to wrestle with God, is going to wrestle with trials, and in those trials seek to be submissive on the one hand to God's will and on the other hand to cry out to God for his blessing. Remember that when this man attacked Jacob, it became pretty clear pretty soon that this was the Lord, whether this was a pre-incarnation of Christ or the angel of the Lord, the text doesn't exactly say, but, but the, clearly this is God here wrestling um, with Jacob. And so here is, here, is, here is Jacob's best friend 
under the guise of an enemy. Here is, here is his best friend attacking him. That's really what this is. It's God, the divine assailant, who comes to break Jacob in order to bless him. Isn't, isn't that how trials feel? I mean, if, I hope we're mature enough to say the trials are not neutral things. God is in our trials. He is wrestling with us in our trials. But don't we often say, Lord, I thought you loved me. Why are you doing this to me? The Lord says, I do love you. And we say, well, then couldn't there be a kinder, gentler way of you wrestling with me? And I think the answer to that is no. If there was a kinder, gentler way, God would use that. And we have to look at the cross. If it, it was, were the sufferings of Christ necessary? Well, the answer of all the classic theologians has been, if God decided to save a people, then yes, the sufferings of Christ were absolutely necessary, and no, God couldn't have done it any other way. And something like that is true in our trials. It's not the cruelty of God, it's the sovereign goodness and wisdom of God. No, there is no other way. These trials are necessary. And Jacob, I think, helps us to at least see that, that this one who is assailing us is our best friend. And he's there for our good. And as Matthew Henry says, he, he breaks our bones, but he gives us victories to rejoice in. And I think that's what we must see here. Uh, he, he draws near that in our trials to break in order to bless. The last thing I want to say, there's one lesson of Jacob enabling us to see that the divine assailant is, our, is really our soul's best friend. Jacob also, I think, encourages us, and this goes back to wrestling in order to win. I think Jacob encourages us to pray with boldness and with tenacity. Don't you just love the fact that Jacob won't take no for an answer? And my friends, there's a place for that in the Christian life. And let's not be too Presbyterian to realize that. I believe, I won't take a backseat to anyone in believing in the sovereignty of God. And yes, I do not always know how to pray as I ought. And I do not always know how God's going to answer. And yes, I do believe at the end of the day, you say, Lord, your will be done. I believe that. I believe that to the core of my being. Absolutely. But I also have a vested interest in stuff I'm praying for. And I think it pleases God when we will not take no for an answer on some of these things. What did we read about that Canaanite woman this morning in Matthew? Was Jesus pleased with her? You bet. Would she take no for an answer? <laughs> she would not. <laughs> Take no for an answer. How about that widow in the story he told in The Unjust Judge? He was impressed. He was saying that in a positive way. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, there's a picture of one of my favorite people in the New Testament. It's a, it's a brother named Epaphras. And this is what Paul says about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling 
or wrestling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, that's a little different than Joe, Mary, and Sue were on my uh, prayer request. Yep, I prayed for them this morning. Good, got that done. Take care of that. It's a little more than that. Wrestling takes time. Epaphras struggles in prayer for them. He wrestles with God for them. Because standing firm and mature in all the will of God isn't easy. Have you noticed that? It's not easy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are against us. Oh, my friends, if you have a few people in your life like Epaphras, you are blessed. Let me tell you. People who will wrestle with God for you in prayer that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And may we be those kinds of people who will wrestle with God. So-and-so might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching in a church where I often preach. And this really kind of got to me. It kind of touched my heart. But after the service, a woman came up to me and said, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And I said, sure. So we went to the church library, and we were talking, and she told me that she has a daughter who's 40 years old who's not a believer and is mentally ill. And uh, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to have very good counsel about her, but she didn't want counsel about her daughter. That's not what she, And by the way, I'm not giving up a confidence here. She has shared this with people in her church and asked for prayer. Um, she was asking encouragement for herself. Because what she says is, how do I keep praying for her for 40 years? And I don't see any change. I don't see anything happening. How can I encourage myself to keep praying? I don't, I don't, I don't think I had a really good answer for her. I think I said something about we must you know, pray um, and not faint. I mean, Jesus did say that. I think when I see her again in a couple of weeks, I hope I'll have a couple of minutes to talk with her, but I, I think maybe I'll, I'll remind her of, of Jacob and just say, you know, there are times when we are tired and in pain, and the thing to do is cling more tightly to the Lord and say, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And I hope she'll be able to do that. And I think she will. She's a dear believer. Don't, don't think that her question is somehow cynicism or unbelief. It's just weariness. My friends, may, may God raise us up. May God raise up many like Epaphras who will wrestle with God and pray for our brothers and sisters and our families and those who need it that they might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Let us pray. Our Father, you're so gracious to us. You're so gracious as you draw near. You're so gracious even as you attack us in our times of trial. We know that you're there to bless us, and even when we need breaking, that we might cling more tightly to you and not let you go until you bless us. Thank you for your abundant readiness, willingness to bless, and your track record of that. Uh, we don't doubt you, Lord. You are abundantly good. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.